You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, a weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvette Press. This is Episode 4. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City Story Universe, which you can find out more about at metamorecity.com. For more information about my books, as well as my voice acting and audio production services, you can check out my author site at chrislester.org. My blog is there too, and you can subscribe to this show there or at metamorcity.com. Now it's time for your weekly writing report. My goal is to spend an average of an hour a day, six days a week, writing, and then share with you what I've been working on through this podcast. My secondary goal is to write a minimum of 350 words per day every single day, because that's the quota that I need to fulfill to keep my chain going on the Magic Spreadsheet. If you don't know about the Magic Spreadsheet yet, go back and listen to Episode 3. This week I fell a little bit short on both of my goals— Last Monday, I made the mistake of starting work on the podcast before I did my writing for the day, and as a result, I ended up breaking my chain. I'm still rusty on my podcast editing skills, and it's taking me a lot longer than it seems like it should to put this podcast out. I'm hoping that I'll get faster with further practice. I'm writing this script on Sunday, May 31st. At this point, I have written 3,880 words in 5.5 hours this week for an average of 705 words per hour. That's a little slower than in the two previous weeks. I finished part three of To Walk in Shadow, and have made good progress on part four, which should be the last part of the story. The total word count on the story is up to 23,100 words, which by some definitions is on the verge of becoming a short novel. That's probably a good thing for the story's commercial potential, since there are more people who buy short novels than novellas. Now then, let's get to the story. Today I'm going to read you Part 2B of To Walk in Shadow. Inside, the fortress looked as ancient as it had from without. Dimly lit halls with high vaulted ceilings, stone walls and floors, portcullises hanging above the archways that divided one part of the castle from another, ornate tapestries hanging on the walls. Yet here and there, Jessup could see hints of modernity. Workers rushing past in faded denim coveralls, warriors wearing durable modern combat boots, doors with modern latches and handles, indoor bathrooms with running water. Jessup came up alongside Vargan. Can I ask you something? The soldier glanced aside at him, then nodded sharply. What sort of weapons do you use here? Swords? Firearms? Whatever is useful, Vargan said. Some of these creatures are little affected by bullets. He chuckled grimly. Oh, but I know what you're really asking, Lightbringer. Yes, we know of the world outside. Skimmers and machine guns, the world net and mobile phones. Things may not change so quickly here, but we are not ignorant. Jessup nodded thoughtfully. I meant no offense. When you see something like this, though... Yes, I can imagine, Vargan said. But think about it, Agent. 
Think about how much infrastructure your modern world depends on. And then think of the place you walked through to get here. There is no petroleum, no natural gas, not even solar power. Everything that we use we must bring here over distances you have no words for. So yes, we live simply here. They came to the top of a broad winding staircase, exiting onto a landing with soft red carpets and plastered walls. The lighting on this level came from golden sconces, with enchanted glass orbs releasing a soft, warm glow. Vargan led them down a narrow corridor, away from the noise and bustle of the main part of the castle, to a set of double doors with brightly polished brass handles. He turned the handle of one door and pushed inward, beckoning them inside. Jessup took two steps in, then stopped and stared. So, he said, simple living, huh? Vargan shrugged. I said we live simply. I never said anything about him. The chambers were part boudoir, part luxury spa. A large canopy bed, twice the size of anything Jessup had ever seen before, stood on a dais in the center of the room. Arrayed around it, roughly equidistant, were a conversation pit filled with overstuffed cushions and pillows, a large hot tub heated by what appeared to be actual coals, flanked by a pair of massage tables, a lavish dining area with a fully stocked bar and elegantly carved chairs and tables, and, incongruously, an erotic dungeon with an X-shaped cross, hanging ropes of various lengths, a wide assortment of whips, chains, and other implements of torment, and a few bits of furniture that Jessup didn't recognize and didn't want to spend too much time imagining what they were used for. It was a room dedicated to decadence and excess, on a level that Jessup had never seen before and could scarcely comprehend. And as soon as he thought of that, he understood its purpose. This is his temple, Jessup said. He turned to Siong, raising his eyebrows. Isn't it? This is how they worship him. Siong smiled just a little. You are more insightful than you seem, Agent. Thanks, I think. Vargan walked back to the door, then turned and faced them. I will have the servants tend to your needs. Is there anything in particular you desire? Jessup looked up at the dais. Somewhere else to sleep, maybe? Vargan chuckled again. The doors in the back lead to other bedchambers. You will have more privacy back there. Jessup sighed in relief. Anything else? Vargan asked. Food and water, if you please, Vargan, Siong said. And music, something relaxing. Vargan put his fist to his heart. Of course, milady. He bowed once more, then turned and left, closing the door behind him. Siong sighed and let her backpack slip to the floor. She sat down on the edge of the dais and began unlacing her boots. Some indefinable glamour seemed to have melted away from her, leaving only a woman, footsore and weary. She drained the last of the water from her canteen and let it fall to the floor beside her pack, not even bothering to put it away. Jessup was tired, too, and he sat down a couple of meters away from her to remove his own boots. "'How long do you think we'll stay here?' he asked. Siong shrugged. That depends on what the master sees in the scrying stone. He will look for the safest path to Estorini. If that path takes us into rebel territory, then we will need to depart when we have the best chance of escaping detection. 
and without seeing the damage, I cannot say how long it will take him to repair the wards Vargan mentioned. Jessup nodded. But it sounds like it'll be several hours at least. He said he would deal with the wards tomorrow. Oh, yes. He knows that our bodies are more fragile than his. He will allow us to eat, to bathe, and to sleep. Jessup looked around again at the bed, the pillow pit, and the dungeon toys. I don't get the feeling that a lot of sleeping happens in here. True, Siong said. The revels here replenish the master's essence. When he returns, he will not come alone. Don't worry, Lightbringer. You will not be required to participate. That's good, Jessup said. Then, after a pause, he added, Will you? Does that matter to you? Jessup turned around and looked at her. Siang had shed her tactical harness and her jacket, and was matter-of-factly shucking off her pants. Um, what are you doing? Jessup asked. Siang raised her eyebrows. I am using the hot tub. It was a long hike, and the heat helps with sore muscles. She unfastened her bra and dropped it on the floor, then pulled off her panties and added them to the pile. Nothing about her movements was provocative or intentionally erotic in the slightest. She looked like a tired athlete in a locker room. She turned her backside to him, a very shapely and well-toned backside Jessup couldn't help but notice, and climbed the side of the hot tub, slipping beneath the water with an audible sigh. Jessup's mouth felt suddenly dry. Turning away from the spa area, he went to the bar, where he found several pitchers of water chilling inside an icebox. He poured himself a glass, drank it down, and then refilled it. "'Would you be so kind as to bring me one of those, Agent?' Siong called. "'Oh, um, of course.' Jessup poured a second glass, then carried both of them back to the hot tub. Siong took hers with a nod of thanks, and then took a long drink before setting the glass aside. "'Thank you,' Siong said. She put her head back on the side of the hot tub and closed her eyes. "'Now are you going to get in? You know it will do you good.' Jessup looked down at the water, breathed in the steam coming off the surface. It did look inviting, but he was wary of letting his guard down in this place. "'If I do, are you going to try to seduce me?' Siang didn't move. She looked at him through half-lidded eyes. Do you have any idea how ridiculous that makes you sound? Jessup sputtered. Ridiculous? You're a disciple of Baal, a god of orgies and dark revels. Lightbringer propaganda, Siang murmured. Have you seen where we are? Jessup countered. That propaganda is looking pretty freaking accurate to me. Siang sighed. She opened her eyes and looked at him fixedly. "'Have you seen where we are?' she asked. "'Not the room. This fortress. This entire plane. Seeing what you have seen and knowing what you now know, do you honestly still believe that dark revels are in any way the focus of my master's work? Or do you understand that there is something more important going on here?' Jessup looked away, uncomfortable. I can see there's something important going on, he said quietly, but I can't say I understand it. I know that going through Shadow is supposed to give us a shortcut to send relief supplies, but that just explains why the Majestrix thinks it's important. Ball cares about something else, and he doesn't seem interested in explaining it to anyone. He explains it to us, 
Xiang said. He does not explain it to you because you have not sworn him fealty. It is not your concern. Jessup nodded once. Fine, but you know very well that this... this decadence is what Baal is known for on earth. This is the reputation he made for himself, so forgive me if I don't see why it's ridiculous to think you might be trying to seduce me. Xiong took a slow breath in, paused, then let it out again. Agent, I am an important officer in a war that your people do not even know is happening. I have served as a high-level diplomat for the Republic of Lomxiun. I am a master illusionist and a keeper of the secrets of shadow magic. I am one of the very few people whom my master trusts implicitly, which is why I have been pulled away from my primary duties to serve on this top-secret mission, even though I am essentially acting as a common bodyguard. Now, knowing this, please ask yourself, if a person of my station wishes to sate her sexual appetites, why in all the worlds would I need a novice lightbringer to do so? Jessup's cheeks flushed hot. He looked down at his feet. I wasn't saying you needed me, he muttered. I just thought... Look, the hedonists like finding innocent people and, um, converting them. He'd been about to say corrupting, but he'd decided it might be a bad idea given his circumstances. The hedonists are Suspira's disciples, not Baal's, Siong said. Our rites may be similar, but the purpose is different. Suffice to say that I prefer a more experienced touch. Do I make myself clear? Jessup nodded. Yes. Good. Now, if you are ready to treat me as a partner in this mission, and not as a temptress out to rob you of your precious innocence— I suggest you use the hot tub while it is still mostly unoccupied. If the thought of a single woman offering sex is so frightening to you, I can scarcely imagine how you would be affected by what comes later. Quietly, Jessup removed his clothes, set them aside, and slid into the hot tub, on the far side from Siong. The water felt incredible in his sore muscles, and he found himself leaning back as she had done, immersing his neck and shoulders. After a long moment, he said, Thank you. I'm sorry for insulting you. Apology accepted. Siong paused, then added, You never answered my question, Lightbringer. Would it bother you if I were required to participate in the Master's revels? It's not really my business. Correct, Siong said, gently. But that is not what I asked. Jessup sighed. I guess... Yes. If Ball made you take part in some kind of orgy to give him power, it would bother me. Why? You know that everyone here serves him willingly, yes? I know, it's just... If a teacher tries to have sex with his student, it's wrong. And if a boss tries to have sex with his employees, that's wrong. People shouldn't do that to people they have that kind of power over. While I understand your analogy, Siong said... This notion of ethics you are describing is a very new one in mortal history. Two thousand years ago, even two hundred years ago, most would have seen nothing wrong in such a relationship. Just because the whole world says something's right doesn't mean it is. Xiong smiled thinly. And if the whole world says something is wrong, perhaps they are wrong about that as well. But I understand your concern. 
If it will make our partnership easier, know this. I may participate in the master's revels, but I choose my companions as I wish. The master compels nothing from me, whether for his own pleasure or the pleasure of others. Jessup was surprised. He doesn't have sex with you? Siong shook her head. Never. Why not? That enigmatic smile again. He values me for other reasons. But do not look down on the women the master welcomes into his bed, Lightbringer. I surely do not. Their work is as important as my own. Jessup frowned. I'm not sure I see how, because he needs them to refill his essence. That, Xiang said. And other reasons. Like what? Jessup asked. But Xiang did not answer. Later, servants arrived with carts full of food, which they set up in the dining area and on small tables throughout the chamber. Xiang signaled two of the servants, who brought towels and robes for her and Jessup. The servants whisked away their traveling clothes to be laundered, while Jessup and Xiang helped themselves to food and wine. The fare was plain by Metamore City standards, roasted meats and winter vegetables, along with apples and other fruits that kept well without refrigeration. But there was plenty of it, and it was well prepared given the limitations of the ancient fortress. The wine, on the other hand, was exceptional. As they ate, others began filtering in to be served. Soldiers, combat mages, support staff of various kinds. They sat at the tables or lounged in the conversation pit. There were men and women of all races, both human and otherwise. Wine and other drinks flowed liberally, and the volume in the chamber began to rise. "'You should go to your bedchamber soon,' Siang said, her voice low. When the master arrives, you will find yourself being tempted in ways you have not yet imagined. Jessup nodded, setting down his glass. Will you show me to my room? Of course. Siong led him through the doors at the back of the temple, down another narrow corridor. The walls were white plaster and the floor was marble, continuing the opulent feel of the temple on a smaller scale. They passed a pair of bathrooms and several open bedrooms, before coming to a small room at the end of the hall. There were a few furnishings inside, a bedside table and lamp, a single chair, and a couple of small paintings on the walls, but the bed was still twice the size of Jessup's bunk at Lothanasi headquarters, and the sheets and blankets looked fit for a prince. A servant woman was inside when they arrived, adjusting the blankets and setting out a pitcher of water with two glasses. She was blonde, ponytailed, fair-skinned, and pretty, about Jessup's age or a little younger and she wore a simple black cotton blouse and skirt. She bowed deeply to Siong, and Jessup noticed Ball's pentagram tattooed on the back of her neck. "'Good evening, milady," she said reverently. "'Will you and your companion need anything special this evening?' "'He is not my companion, Tara,' Siong said. "'This man is an agent of the Lothanasi, and he is our guest. Afford him every courtesy, and see to it that he is not disturbed by the revelers.' The servant, evidently Tara, looked up at Jessup in amazement, as if her master had invited a tiger for afternoon tea. Yes, milady. Of course, she said. Siong turned to Jessup. I must leave you now. You may use the facilities down the hall, but do not enter the other bedrooms or return to the temple. Otherwise, do not leave your room until morning. Anything you desire, Tara can provide for you. 
Do you have any questions? Jessop shook his head. Then I shall bid you good night, Lightbringer. I or the master will send for you in the morning. All right. Good night, Jessop said. Siong left then, shutting the door to the bedroom behind her. Jessop looked over at Tara, who was gazing at him in open fascination. So you're really a Lightbringer? Her accent was plain and middle class, something from the central provinces. She sounded like the proverbial girl next door. Yeah, Jessop said, smiling. I'm Agent... well, you can call me Clyde. Giving her his first name shouldn't be too much of a risk. The girl was obviously a low-level servant in Ball's organization, and his name wouldn't be of any arcane use to Ball if it were given to him second-hand. Tara smiled back, her blue eyes sparkling. Pleased to meet you, Clyde. How can I be of service? Jessup thought about it. I think my clothes were taken away to be cleaned. Would you bring them here when they're done? Of course. Anything else? I think I'll just go to bed, thanks. Yes, sir. Right away. Tara went over to the bed and pulled back the covers, holding them up for him to climb in. Jessup looked at her, then chuckled. I don't think anyone's tucked me into bed since I was a kid. Tara blushed. She had a good face for blushing. It made the blue of her eyes look even more brilliant. Lady Xiong did say to give you every courtesy, she said. Her voice was warm and playful. Jessup laughed. I guess she did. Okay, then. He climbed into bed, still wearing the robe he'd been given at the hot tub, and Tara placed the covers over him. Then she waved a hand over the enchanted globe on the bedside lamp, and the warm yellow light winked out. Jessup closed his eyes and began to breathe deeply and evenly, consciously relaxing his mind and body. After a minute or so, though, he realized that he had not heard Tara leave. He looked up, and in the dim light leaking under the door, he saw her seated quietly in the room's only chair, her hands on her lap. Tara? What are you doing? She remained still for a second or two, then seemed to rouse herself, as if coming out of a trance. Mr. Siong told me to stay with you, to make sure you aren't disturbed by any revelers. Jessup frowned. Is that really likely? Tara snorted. <laughs> Honestly, Clyde? Yeah, I think it is. Oh. Um, why? Tara's voice sounded amused. Because you're pretty damned cute, Mr. Lightbringer. Jessup blushed and was grateful that the darkness would hide it. He laid back down facing the opposite wall in case she had unusually good eyesight. Um, thanks. So are you, he added, before he could stop himself. He hurried on. But you don't have to sit there all night. That's just silly. Oh, good, Tara said. I'm glad we agree on that. He heard her get up from the chair, her clothes rustling. A moment later, her naked body slipped into bed behind him. This is so much better, she purred. Jessup turned around as quickly as he could. Tara, this isn't... She grabbed his head in both hands and covered his mouth with her own. Jessup had been kissed like that before, but not recently and not often. A second later, he found his own arms wrapping around her, as he returned the kiss with equal fervor. An indeterminate amount of time later, he forced himself to break the kiss. Wait, he said. Tara smiled mischievously. 
Yes, Clyde? This isn't right, Jessup said. You're a servant. Tara chuckled wickedly. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not your servant. Nobody ordered me to do this. I'm doing it because I want to. But we just met. So? I can fuck a guy I've just met. It's fun. You never know what to expect. Why, is it against your Lightbringer rules or something? Will it get you in trouble? Jessup's hand was stroking up and down her back of its own accord. No. Tara grinned. Then be honest. Do you want me to leave? Jessup looked into that lovely, welcoming face and spoke the truth. No. It was a long time before Jessup got to sleep that night, but when he did, he slept very soundly. And that's the end of part two. Tune in next week for the first half of part three. And now, some feedback. Hey Chris, it's Sarah Testarosa. Listen to the first two episodes of The Raven and the Writing Guys. Haven't told you by voice, welcome back to a podcast thing. Anyway, I am glad to see you making more episodes and definitely, definitely on board with you with the whole idea of not sacrificing the story writing for doing the full cast productions, which takes so much time and effort. And, you know, as awesome as full cast production of making the cut was, I definitely appreciate the way you're doing this now. Thanks, Sarah. I've been really excited at all the positive feedback I'm getting on the show. It's good to know that people appreciate Metamore City for the writing and not just the production values. The uh, cleanup on Skyway, whatever the number was, was really fun. I, I found that one pretty amusing, although there was some gross imagery going on in my head, but I think that kind of makes sense. You wrote the scene well, but that was really pretty gross. Guilty as charged, Sarah. The anthology that this would have been part of was literally called Dirty Jobs, and it was supposed to be all about the thankless, often disgusting work that is needed to keep a society running in a fantasy world. I tried to imagine the messiest job you could have in a place like Metamore, and cleaning up after the Lothanasi is definitely at the top of the list. I thought it was cool to see the, the aftermath of the Lightbringers taking care of business, and it's like, no, it's not all pretty. And I think that was actually kind of a cool segue into the Walk in Shadow, how Paul was talking about, you know, hey, even these Lightbringers have to kill people now and then. I mean, yes, those weren't exactly people, but I am enjoying that story. I've only listened to the first part, so I was, like, trying to think about other names you could have potentially given Val or Paul. I don't know why it sounds amusing to me, but it just does. I mean, I know what you're shortening, you're shortening false on, but I'm thinking it's definitely better than, like, me if you were doing, like, the of above <laughs> or something. That would sound even weird. <laughs> Fun historical fact about the name Baal. In ancient Palestine, or Canaan, as it was called back then, Baal, or Baal, was an honorific title that could be used for any of several major deities— including the king of the gods, Hadad. The worshippers referred to the god as Baal because his name was considered to be too holy to speak. I liked the idea that my Baal, who is a god of secrets and forbidden knowledge, would conceal even his true name. My Baal has an apostrophe in the middle of his name because it's a contraction. 
keeping the first and last syllables and omitting all of the others in between. Also, because Baal or Baal means Lord in the languages of the Canaanites, calling him Lord Baal is redundant, which is why Baal chuckles when Jessup calls him that. It's a little Easter egg in the story for the linguistics geeks. Now, as for Beelzebub, that was actually a derogatory title for Baal that was created by the Israelites. The way they saw it, worship of the Canaanite gods was going to bring down the wrath of the Lord on Israel, so they viewed Baal as a symbol of darkness and evil. They took one of Baal's titles, Beelzebul, which meant Lord of the House, and changed the last syllable to Beelzebub, which meant Lord of the Flies. In other words, they were calling Baal a pile of dung. As for the pronunciation, the Canaanite god is most properly called Baal, but I chose to use the pronunciation from Dungeons and Dragons Forgotten Realms, where Baal is the lord of murder. Again, a little Easter egg for my fellow geeks. Anyway, I like this ship. That sounds really cool when you described it. I mean, the way he described it, he made it sound like he thought it was, like, ugly. And I thought it was pretty badass. That's all right. <laughs> but I uh, feel kind of bad for him. I feel like he's kind of um, the hobbit because it's like, well, hi, me! <laughs> but I, I, I do enjoy stories where the, you know, the protagonist who's dragged ball monster adventure is not really super prepared for that kind of thing. Yeah, so do I. Novice characters make some of the best viewpoint characters for introducing new aspects of the world to your readers, since they can ask all of the questions that a veteran would already know the answers to. Anyway, I definitely shame you couldn't make it to BulkCon, but I do hope you can make it next year, and if so, I'll see you there. But best wishes with your uh, daily writing. I'm trying to get back to writing more myself. I get inspired because of having gone to the con. That was kind of a good kick in the pants to remind me to write, write, write. Anyway, take care. Thanks for calling in, Sarah. I want very badly to be at Balticon next year. It's the 50th anniversary, you know. So I'm saving up for it, and I'm trying to make plans with my fellow podcasters to keep the costs down. I'll keep you all posted when it gets closer to the time of the convention. If you'd like to participate in the feedback discussion, you can send your thoughts, in text or audio to metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. You can also call our voicemail line. Dial 641-715-3900 and then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. You can find me on Twitter as Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S, and my blog is at chrislester.org. If you're on Facebook, I have a new author page where I'll be keeping you up to date on all the news about my work. You can find that at facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. If you like the author page, make sure to click the drop-down arrow and select the Get Notifications option. That will ensure that you'll see my posts when they come up. Lastly, I'd like to get the Metamore City discussion forums up and running again. We lost the previous version due to an attack of the spam bots, but it's back up at metamorcity.freeforums.org. And this time I hope the protections I've put in place will work to keep the place spam-free. Come on over and start a conversation. That's all for this week. Until next time, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out.
This podcast is copyright 2015 by Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. For information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.